Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, a podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, a little information for you and the listeners. Uh, We're going to have some trigger warnings here, just in case. We're going to be talking about horror movies and horror culture, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse, and all kinds of offensive things and offensive words. And F-bombs. So if that's not your thing, here's your chance to turn away. But if it is, tune in and listen to all kinds of fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Uh, Before we get to today's guest, a few announcements. We are uh, having a slight change in the format. We previously did polls to see uh, which guests you would like us to release every other Friday. And um, I decided to just switch from that because it was causing scheduling conflicts. We couldn't release people on time or or when they would want to or when we would want to. So we're just doing away with that. And it's just going to be a weekly release of a new guest every other week, Steve. It's it's every every other week, week, right? Yep. On Fridays. On Fridays. Thank you. Yes. That's an important piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we're going to have Jeff Burke, editor of Bizarro Magazine. But this week, our guest is Tim Ritter, producer, writer, and director, best known for the Truth or Dare series, uh, High Death, and Earth Girls are Sleazy. Welcome, hey, Tim. Tim. Glad to have you on the show. Hello. Hmm? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll shut up now. Hi. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anything you want to pitch before we get into the meat of the interview? Sharks of the corn. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the latest, uh, that just came out from SRS cinema. Uh, actually it's been shipping the last two weeks on limited edition, limited edition, Blu-ray and VHS. And that'll be followed up with a national, uh, DVD and, uh, streaming deal through, uh, you know, and probably July, more of a summer summertime movie can we just hopefully like jaws right can we just pause for a minute and clarify did you actually say vhs are they are you releasing it on vhs yeah yeah as a matter of fact they're red uh actually most of my stuff even now uh is vhs is the preferred medium uh don't ask me why i guess it's it's like a nostalgic uh, thing like Like vinyl playing yeah like vinyl it's vhs is coming back man almost every indie horror release i've seen it, it has that. It has DVD, Blu-ray, and VHS. Hmm. Right, yeah. The hard yeah. thing is finding a player. Well, yeah. Hey, just go to Goodwill. Eh, finding a player that works. <laughs> well, they, they're actually, uh, there's a new group that is making, uh, and I see it on Facebook all the time now, there's a, uh, uh, I guess they're manufacturing a new VHS player, yeah, with uh, a DVD recorder on a big unit. They're on, they're under like 200 bucks, brand new, so... VHS is back. Oh my God. It's finally happening. We're, <laughs> we're approaching cassette futurism. Oh God. Well, <laughs> I mean, we've had that with uh, audio cassette. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> so the theme of our show is less about the work that you've done and more about you as a personally a fan of horror. Um, and so what we do is, ask sort of three sets of questions focusing on your childhood years, teenage years, and then adult years to sort of try to build like a psychological profile to figure out what it is about horror that you like. Um, that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's questions you don't want to answer, just say, I'll pass and we can move on. Um, okay. I'll pass on that question. <laughs> and, you know, the idea being that 
if we interview a bunch of people in the horror business and maybe we'll find some interesting common themes or some uncommon themes as well. And actually, you know, you're the 31st person that we will have interviewed. And for the most part, like there's one or two common themes, but they're not very common. It seems almost like everybody is more independent in terms of, uh, what it is that they're getting out of horror. So it's been interesting talking to everybody. Yeah, yeah, this kind of sounds like an interesting slant. So let's start with childhood. What are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Uh, Jaws. Uh, I was obsessed with Jaws uh, when I was uh, very young, and I got my parents to take me to the movie theater to see it, and still obsessed with Jaws. Hmm. Uh, Incredible Melting Man. That Uh, was one that, uh, you know, of course, I grew up in the 70s, so. Six Million Dollar Man, I was really into that. When The Incredible Melting Man came out, of course, Astronaut coming back to Earth melting. I was like too young to see it, but uh, I was obsessed with the ads and the commercials and and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Hammer movies. Um, Even in um, elementary school, I would go to the library and uh, check out books on the old universal horror movies. And I couldn't see those because this was actually, and this is really going to date me. I mean, this is before cable TV actually really came into existence mm-hmm. where it was widespread. So, you you know, you'd have like six channels. Yeah, that mm-hmm. you, and they would never run what I wanted to see. I'd be like, oh, no, I wish I got channel six. If I got channel <laughs> six, I could watch the original Dracula. Right. So, you know, I was like, as a kid, I was reading this stuff and then, uh, when I could watch it on afternoon movies on the Saturday matinee or whatever, you know, I would see, you know, all the stuff that I was reading about or some of it. And, you know, stuff that stands out is like Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon was a favorite, uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, King Kong, mm-hmm. Godzilla, you know, all those kind of things. Right. So, you know, as, as a kid, that's kind of, you know, my earliest obsessions. And then, of course, when Halloween ran on television. In its original, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it was NBC, nineteen eighty-one or something like that, mm-hmm. or eighty. Uh, you know, that's where I really got the slasher bug type of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was one that. Uh, so that, I would say that's probably the the early. Uh, Out of curiosity, um, geographically, where did you grow up? South Florida. Okay. okay. I was born in uh, yeah Lake Worth, Florida. Okay. And uh, grew up there, and uh, that's where. Pretty much, I stayed the first thirty years of my adult life down in Florida. Um, I was curious because you were talking about you know not having access to a lot of things, and I thought to myself that if you lived closer to a larger city, that you might have had more access to that. Um, you know, New York, Miami, something like that. But I could see West Palm Beach maybe not having quite the same access as a you know one of the larger larger cities. Oh, you mean like for cable and stuff? Uh, not only cable, but, you know, even be able to go down to the movie theater and see, you know, some of these things on uh, some sort of a rerun or, you know, because sometimes they would have right. they would have theaters that would do stuff like that. Yeah, it was a small town, but uh, there was a theater I used to walk to and it was only, I think there was only one big theater. It was, you know, just one auditorium. So <laughs> if they huh. kept the movie for a few weeks, uh, that was it yeah. <laughs> for a month, you know. So And it yeah. also, but that also limits your... Uh, your availability because like you say if you've only got the one theater or the one or the one room it's not like they've got three rooms that you can rotate and pick right so definitely a different different world you know it's hard to uh it's hard for people to imagine now what it was like then trying to watch horror movies yeah <laughs> yeah 
So it sounded like uh, so sounded like you got into horror pretty early. Do you have any remembrance of what it was that attracted to attracted you to horror? Um, offhand, I don't know. I, I was just kind of very creative, even as a little kid, and I would create stories. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, nineteen seventy eight really freaked me out and i kind of wrote a story about stuffed people that were stuffed like stuffed animals Mm -hmm. and uh and this was you know whatever 1978 i was probably 10 years old or so something like that so um so those are the kind of memories i have of that and of course reading like fangoria magazine i I was there for issue number one Mm -hmm. and you know you would read these magazines that so you'd read about all this stuff more than you would actually see it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as what I was getting out of it, um, I don't know. It was just kind of a little rush and it was just, uh, something that your parents did not want you to see. <laughs> so the older I got, the more obsessed I got with it. And, you know, my parents really, you know, they were pretty conservative. They were both teachers and they didn't understand that, uh, you know, <laughs> their, their kid was like, uh, you know, wanting to see eventually movies like, you know, Halloween, I Spit on Your Grave, Evil Dead, and Last House on the Left. But even in the, I mean, in the early days, they were, they were kind of cool with it because Godzilla, mm-hmm. Frankenstein, I had the, the Aurora models, the model kits that glow to the dark of Frankenstein and Dracula. I don't know. I was just always just obsessed with monsters and, uh, you know, all those kind of mm-hmm. things. So, Was there something in particular you loved about them? I guess just the scare, you know, the beating, the scare. And, you know, if you obsess with it and watch something and got through it, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride or, uh, you know, a carnival going through the, uh, uh, the fun house where you make it to the end and you're like going, Oh wow, that was cool. And you get that rapid heartbeat and yeah, that's exactly right. So, okay. you know, Early on, that was kind of what, and it is still now to some degree, you know, even though we're probably all jaded and uh, it takes a lot more now. <laughs> it does, you know, it gets harder and harder to get the actual legitimate scare as you have watched more and more of them. Did you right. happen to notice any common threads about the kinds of stuff that got your heart racing? I mean, there's monsters, there's a damsel in distress. Um, I know growing up, uh, when I was real little, my mom would watch, um, Dark Shadows, and I would I watch that with that. Her. That, <laughs> And, you know, of course, you know, that's a vampire uh, soap, soap opera. opera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it's just like, so being exposed to that in Star Trek uh, with all the different, you know, the original show with all the different uh, far out looking monsters and the Tribbles and the Klingons. And, you know, I mean, it's not horror horror, but it's kind of far out and there's, you know, monstrous things. And, I mean, as far as common themes, uh, you know, of course, monsters, people having to fight the monster, whether the monster was a shark or, a, you know, a gigantic uh, ape or, uh, you know, eventually, of course, a, a guy in a mask it all led up to, you know, the, the slasher era, which was a lot easier to emulate uh, in terms of, you know, making little Super 8 movies as I grew up. You know, it's a lot easier instead of having to try to make models and do Star Wars and have space backgrounds and and scratch the emulsion on your film and make laser beams. It's just like, oh man, I got a John it's Carpenter, man. It's a, P- a shaky POV. Somebody at the top of the stairs, a rubber knife in the frame, and we're set to go. <laughs> yep. yep. That's why horror is one of the, um, 
I won't say easiest f- type of films to make, but it's it's the best turnaround. Right. Well, I mean, you can actually do it yeah. and not you know be as embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this falls short, but uh, you know that other one with the uh, black uh, uh, poster board and the chalk stars that would be really bad. <laughs> no shit. I saw one once where the uh, the radar. I'm doing air quotes right now for those who can't see. Uh, where they were showing where a creature on the ship was, you could tell it was a mm. semi-transparent black piece of paper that they had a, a, like a fucking flashlight behind. They were just moving the dot. Right, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, th- I think I, my suspension of disbelief is ruined. It reminds me of, and and what I'm about to say is not to knock them at all because you got to do make do with what you got. But it's reminding me of. Uh, you know, there was a thing that went around a couple of years ago. It was a clip from some, uh, like a homemade movie that somebody in Africa made and they're, they're using an actual, I swear to God, it's a, a toy, uh, helicopter, but pretending, you know, for a second that it's the shot of the helicopter coming in Wow. <laughs> anyway, but it reminds me of that. Oh my God, but that, that for that, it's an intentional, uh, Oh, looks like we lost Tim. Oh, what? Tim, you still there? No. So before we uh, took a break there for lost audio, uh, one of the things that I was going to say is it's funny that you say that you used to watch Dark Shadows with your mom, and yet you said that you know they they felt some sort of concern about your enjoyment of horror as a child. Right. Especially as it got more bloody when you get into stuff like uh, Maniac, <laughs> Friday the 13th. Uh, I guess it's just, um, I don't know, just some people that aren't into horror just don't like that kind of stuff. So and I guess as parents, if, if you had a kid and you were looking at them and you were like going, oh, wow, what is this? I'm going to have a serial killer on my hand. Back then. <laughs> I mean, not, nowadays, uh, <laughs> who knows? Because right. video games and everything, you know. Yeah. So. Well, I'm just laughing, thinking to myself that, you know, because apparently mom liked something about Dark Shadows. But, oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Like you said earlier, it was a soap opera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have any friends uh, around that age who also were fans of horror? Um, Actually, um, across the street from me, I live from uh, uh, in Lake Park, Florida, and Joel Weinkoop, the cult actor who's in some of my movies and a lot of my We've actually the- already talked to him. Yeah. Okay. Like uh, he or, lived huh? across the street and he was my babysitter and he was making huh. little movies. And of course he was a fan of, of all this kind of stuff. A few years older than me, but he did comic books and I would share, you know, my Godzilla models with him. And eventually when he made super eight movies, uh, he would, uh, you know, I, he invited me and I played little parts in his movies and everything. And I had been getting the film bug myself. And that's when I asked my dad to, to borrow the family super eight movie camera that I wanted to make movies too. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, Joel was probably in the biggest, I have to apologize. I'm, I'm horrible with names, but, but Joel actually told us that story. <laughs> oh, really? So, okay. <laughs> so we actually were introduced to you, uh, through him sort of, um, although I think Chris, maybe Chris knew about you. You knew about Tim's work before that, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think, That's uh, cool. Joel was who suggested we hit you up and right. Glad we did. Cool. That's an yes. awesome story that you guys go that far back. Yeah. Right. And this was, this was like in the, I, I set 1976, 77, somewhere in there, 78. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I, yeah, I mean, that kind of thing definitely helps, uh, when you've got sort of a social, uh, element to it too, where you've got more than one person who's enjoying this. You've got somebody to share it with, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, other than Joel, anybody else in your friends group or your family that were fans of horror? Uh, yeah, definitely some, you know, friends, you know, just in my classes and stuff, we were all obsessed with star Wars and um eventually dawn of the dead not being able to see it because of our age usually just talking about it the pictures from the magazines and you know that that kind of thing but you know as i moved around and got to different schools and stuff of course you know you end up kind of being the loner and i was usually the geek in the back of the class with stephen king books and fangoria magazine you know underneath my folders reading that as opposed to uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> paying much attention to what was going on and you know not many people were uh too you know privy to that kind of stuff you know like i was so yeah although i do remember when friday the 13th and friday the 13th part two came out uh and i guess it would have been in elementary going into my middle school you know that was really talked about by classmates and i remember on the school bus or when halloween uh premiered on i guess hbo and cable TV, uh, I remember hearing about it before I ever saw it. I'd read a little bit about it, but people, I remember vividly being on the bus going, my mom locked all the doors after we watched that movie. That guy's breathing just scared us to death. I couldn't sleep all night long. So that kind <laughs> of uh, excitement over Halloween, you know, it's hard to imagine today when we're, what, 12 sequels into it. But that's how that, that, kind of, that movie really got going, I think, was just, the word of mouth and the music and that, you know, the breathing of Michael Myers and just his relentless, uh, intrusion into, uh, you know, homes, which is like a home invasion, which was kind of unthought of back then. It was like, Oh wow, this is, this is incredible. You know, this murderer just comes in and, you know, does all this stuff for no reason. Yeah. It's really groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Plus there's the whole just golem, stature or, or uh, behavior of him where he just he never says shit he just stands right, there right. and looks at you and then he stabs you gets up and keeps going like the boogeyman i mean it was definitely yeah, like carpenter said in many interviews it's just you know the mystique you don't know and it's you know for anybody that's attacked and you know in a real home invasion there may not be a reason so that kind of brought that uh that horror out in people or that potential horror where they're like, well, wow, that could really happen. And it could really happen. You know, you could get some crazy that comes in and does something, you know, nuts. You know? Right. So what are, are you thinking that there was sort of like a divi- dividing line where you felt maybe like an outcast before that, but after that sort of, you know, more socially accepted or. Well, no, you were all, I kind of always felt kind of, you know, like an outcast, like the black sheep of the family type of thing. Mm-hmm. And even in school, because I mean, usually the only time I would uh, interact with classmates a lot would be, Hey, do you want to be in a movie? I'm getting ready to do a movie. I need people. <laughs> to be And I, that's the only time nice. I would uh, even talk to the cheerleaders or, you know, all the, you know, the really, uh, what do you call them? The, uh, the top notch people, right, right. The popular folks. You know, I'd be like, oh, and I'd get them to be in my movies. And, 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 you know, that's what I would do a few times a year, just, you know, crank mm-hmm. these crazy movies out, whether they're horror movies or spoofs on James Bond or Dirty Harry. And that's the kind of thing I would do. And uh, other than that, I didn't say too much, you know. So they, they definitely thought get, I was strange. What kind <laughs> of response did you get Fisher. from them? 
Uh, everybody really, everybody wanted to be in a movie because then I would show them in classrooms or you know in the living room uh, uh, at home and charge you know the neighborhoods. <laughs> parents and friends to come in, you know, a quarter to come to see a movie and uh, have popcorn and, uh, you know, watch what we've done. So everybody really liked it, uh, you know, until uh, one of the teachers showed one of my movies called The Killing Connection. There was a scene in there where we um, stabbed a pregnant girl and she fell onto the ground and, it was, you know, with a big machete. And he almost got fired for that. So, because he kept showing it to every class and he hadn't watched the movie and he just kept oh, showing God. it. And of course, somebody complained. And, you know, my dad was a teacher at that school. And then, he, you know, that caused a big ruckus. And I was like, oh, uh, you mean you can't stab pregnant women on a uh, super eight film? And, uh, <laughs> but that was the killer that my I cop mean, was going, all right. And they showed it to school all day long. And it was like, this so wait, he showed it several scandal. times, but never, uh, <laughs> never previewed it before doing so? No, never previewed it, and the teacher just was sitting at his desk, probably grading homework or something the whole day, and people right. were, you know, the, the kids were like going, oh, this is sick, oh, man. He's <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there oblivious, not even watching, like, quiet down now, quiet down. Uh, quiet down now, just keep watching this. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty brutal movie. There, there was also a scene where uh, we crucified a, a girl in a park in that same movie, so there was a crucifixion in there. Wow. Just, it was about a brutal serial killer. I'm surprised that's not the one. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised that's not, like you would think that'd be the scene they complain about. And I mean that to well, me is that, the other one was before that, so well, <laughs> so, wow. they, so they never made it that far. No, yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, uh, I think that was the one that got people for some reason. So. But now that's impressive for two reasons. There's you know the fact that the you get away with playing that in a classroom, and two the fact that you as kids got away with filming that in a public park, like. Right. Crucifying somebody in a public park is kind of <laughs> right. eye-catching. Yeah, and I you know what happened with that, too. The, the girl was in a very small bikini, high school cheerleader. And okay. uh, let me tell you, the traffic, because it was on this turnaround uh, road that was like one way, the traffic backed up a full mile. All these people were just staring, and then I had the cops come. And the cops are like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm making a movie. And uh, they're making like, a movie. you, know, you realize it? you have the traffic backed up five miles out here. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Take that cross down, put it back in the truck, and get out of here. <laughs> look, officer, I can't be blamed for a bunch of perverts that want to stop their car and look at a, a young girl in a bikini right. covered in blood. I mean, I just... I, wait, wait I'm for just the movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're making a movie. Who cares about the traffic? <laughs> <laughs> Times were different back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in as in as in as much as you didn't get in more trouble than you did. Yeah, that would right. be a different story today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Today, yeah, it I, it's hard. It's hard to say. You, know, you just never know. But yeah, today, right? Well, this particular era, everything is super. I mean, if you're banning Doctor Seuss, there's there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's all I can say. So uh, that sounds more of like uh, teenage years. Let's go back to childhood for a minute. Um, did you know in childhood, did you know that you were supposed to be scared of that stuff? Or was it all just entertainment to you? Uh, yeah, the scared part, like I said, there was occasional movies like um, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatcher 78. That one, for some reason, that one really got under my nerves that people could be replaced and transformed and become something new and they could steal your family away and replace them so that movie all and this the sound effects of the uh 
the transformation that which later I found out on the extras was a uh, I guess that was a uh, uh, ultrasound of a of a baby you know that hmm. they would actually okay, yeah you know, record like and, like pitched yeah, out so a I was bit, like maybe? I was like wow but yeah that one freaked me out and then of course when I did see Halloween whenever that was that 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 really scared me when I first saw it even on regular TV just the whole on a little black and white television in my bedroom you know and it was edited but uh, mm-hmm. that one did and. Um, I'm just trying to think of a, a few others that uh, had a huge impact. Alien, that was very. Spooky. You mentioned Star Wars earlier. I was going to say Alien because yeah, I mean that's yeah. that came out around the same time and too. I, 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 that was one I was not allowed to see. Really, uh, in the theater, so I got the photo novel and, uh, and I obsessed over that. I had to sneak the photo novel in, and then uh, mm-hmm. finally when it played on HBO, I did see it and you know watched it endless times. But recently. On the re-release, I did finally get to see it in the theater. So last, I think about a year and a half ago, they did a re-release of it. So. Oh, yeah, they did do that. I'm, most kids uh, these days participate in Halloween. Did you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always loved Halloween. Loved the trick-or-treating. Loved putting on a mask and going out mm-hmm. being a different uh, character. And I, I remember a few Halloweens, uh, they were just incredible because... They were rainy, they were damp, they were cool, cloudy, you know, running, and then like just running through the, the night with that breeze. Kind of, and it kind of reminded me of Halloween later. Yeah. I hadn't seen Halloween. And Halloween kind of captured that that childhood vibe that, you know, of, you know, that most people have when they were able to go out trick-or-treating with or without their parents or with, in groups of kids and be in those masks and be all sweaty and, and going up and scaring each other and uh you know going up to these it was kind of scary going up to these all these strangers porches and are you going to get something or are they going to shoot at you or are they going to give you a, you know the big thing is am i going to get an apple with a, a big razor blade in it or, or or tainted candy you know that was all it's still a big thing like you know when people go trick-or-treating so so there's kind of always like a, a horrific mystique to halloween where you you go you don't know what you're gonna get trick or treat so mm-hmm. you know it was just really fun but yeah i always absolutely loved halloween still do jeff did, did you have a favorite costume wow i went out as a six million dollar man batman uh, i mean all kinds of uh, crazy stuff nothing i don't remember doing anything too horrific uh, later of course I, I you know wore the michael myers costume like everybody did who, who knew that would take over like it has still to this day but uh uh it, it was just usually the, the superman uh, just the the flavor of the the year the comic book world now, i right. don't know if we really had a lot of horror oriented costumes other than frankenstein and you know a few others you know back then yeah the classics could be jaws i think i remember a jaws costume how about a least favorite costume? Least favorite costume. Mm. I mean, I didn't have one myself, but uh, I mean, I don't know. It's always interesting to see all kinds of costumes, you know, what that people wear. But I didn't have one myself that I, you know, really hated. Okay. I mean, not every question is going to hit for you. We just got them and you never know what's going to hit. So we give them to you and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> um, was there ever a time when you were actually terrified of something as a child? I think I went through a phase when I, when I was a kid where I really thought that somebody was going to get me and something was under the bed and I would just freak out all the time. I remember, you know, waking up screaming and, you know, my parents running into the room and that kind of stuff, which is kind of a cliche horror thing now. This was like uh, when I was really, really young. 
But uh, and then it would end up being a stuffed animal that had fallen upside down. It was the legs that were coming up from the side of the bed and it, it, that I thought was a hand and, you know, that kind of thing. And then, yeah. uh, of course, the horror movies would kind of perpetuate that even more, make you more paranoid. So I went through that for probably, a, you know, a couple of years where you know, I was kind of freaked out like that all the time. And I hated school, all, all of it. So that was another problem. You know, I never wanted to go to sleep because I didn't want to get up the next day and just did not like school at all. So that didn't help anything being all, you know, cranked up on no sleep and irritated that I had to go somewhere. <laughs> mm. uh, any really scary dreams when you were a kid? Nightmares. Yeah, I definitely had nightmares uh, on and off. Uh, and Still do once in a while. Ah, uh, recurring ones. I remember there was one. We had what's called a Florida room, which was like a a different uh, living room. And I remember one time I was laying on the floor, and on the ceiling uh, in Florida they have like uh, wood ceilings, and there was like this strange face up uh-huh. on the ceiling. And yeah, this okay. face came down and went into my stomach as a little kid. It never came out, and that always freaked me out. And I would have nightmares about that. And then from even to this day, uh, I, I do not sleep on my back if I can help it at all, because uh, hmm. I'm just afraid that this uh, this evil and who knows, maybe it was something, you know, if you believe in the paranormal, that you just don't know, you know, what is out there. But it, it, I know when I was a little kid, probably in uh, third or fourth grade, it really felt like, you know, something had happened where I was on the floor in this. And I don't know if, if you really if I really think about it, I don't know if it was actually you know, a face or if it was just wood knots that my imagination made look like a face or, or what it was, but, uh, that's definitely kind of an odd experience. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate. Uh, you know, whenever there's ceilings with patterns, wood grain, popcorn, um, even some of the weird old pattern tile things, but yeah. Um, sometimes just lying there in bed, you look up at shit like that. If it's directly above you and, Right, and you're like, oh, is that coming to get me? Where did it go? Mm-hmm. Oh, it got me! <laughs> I mean, sometimes when I would have this experience, the real SD and, and other substances involved, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. that also happens sober, so that rules that out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and childhood, hopefully, before you were getting into that kind of thing. Well, yeah, right. I mean, geez, was you want to wait until at least <laughs> 12 for your first ayahuasca experience. I mean, Jesus, what? savages. kidding kidding i've said lots of stupid incriminating shit on this show for the record (laughs) wow you're under arrest you have five seconds to comply no don't shoot me into a night (laughs) all right don't shoot me in the dick (laughs) (laughs) it's what he does yeah he does uh so moving into teenage years then, what were some of the scary, you know, stories or books or movies during your teenage years? Uh, always a fan of Stephen King. Uh, eventually discovered uh, Jack Ketchum, Richard Lehman. Uh, Jack Ketchum. Um, some, he did uh, he, The Woman? Yeah, The Girl Next Door. And, uh, and The Girl Next Door, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what was that? He did the uh, Offspring, Off Season. Uh, his books were really hard to find, but I read about him with Fangoria. I think Chaz Balin was writing about nice. But of course, all the Stephen King stuff I loved, and um, mm-hmm. nonfiction film books too. Okay, of course, because I was always in Fangoria magazine. Would read about Wes Craven, H.G. Lewis, John Waters. You know, all the kind of the seventies trailblazers there, John Carpenter, and uh, yeah. you know, all those those folks. 
So I was wondering what you saw in some of those things that excited you. Uh, I don't know. It was just kind of, uh, you know, just felt like that's where I kind of belong and that's what I wanted to do because I was reading about it so much and it just seemed like that's what, uh, you know, that's where, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like that's, you know, where you were, were headed when you were that age. You just knew that, uh, even as you read about it and read the books, the fiction and the nonfiction, it all just made so much sense to you that, uh, you know, it was eventually something that you were going to have to do. And even when like, uh, extras started coming out, like say, uh, document of the dead and, when you know the dvd extra actually laser disc when the laser disc extras and the commentaries and all the like the alien uh disc i mean it took me like a month to watch all the extras on the, the i think it was a criterion alien uh release um you just knew that watching would never be enough that you were going to have to participate in a way um and how can you participate in a movie that has already been done you can't all you can do is emulate and be inspired by it and then try to do it yourself and you know end up in the in similar circumstances on a on a movie set trying to create you know what you saw so that's kind of if that makes kind of sense you how you were trying to you know get involved with all this because it just felt like so in addition to being a fan you know you wanted to contribute something back that you were seeing for some reason mm. So by 18, you had already made the decision that you wanted to get into making movies. Oh, definitely. Yeah. When I was, uh, you know, very young, I knew I wanted to write and I was already writing books, uh, at a very young age, not novels or anything, but I mean, just little books. And then when I got that super eight movie camera in 1970, probably six or seven, somewhere in there, 77, 78 started fooling with that, made my first movies in 1978. I mean, I knew that I mean, it just, I knew I would probably never stop because that was, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So when did you start writing? I think, uh, my mom encouraged it. So I, I mean, I remember writing as, you know, when I was, as soon as I could write when I was, you know, in, you know, and think of ideas that, uh, of my own. And that would probably be in like, you know, first, second, third grade, I was trying to create little stories. And I still have some of those little books. I would actually staple them together and put my name mm-hmm. on the front, but by Tim Ritter, you know, it's like, <laughs> draw. I was a terrible uh, artist, but I draw ridiculous coverage for them mm-hmm. and everything. So I would say, keep those in a frame somewhere. You might be famous someday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put those on eBay. <laughs> uh, so that probably would have been about six to eight years old. Uh, you mentioned 76 to 78. Would that also been six to eight or a different time frame? Probably a different time frame, but I mean, you know, I was always, uh, you know, writing, you know, stuff. And then as I got older and started reading about the, the scripts and everything, I would write small, small scripts to go along with the movie. Mm-hmm. And we started out with like 20 minutes worth of material and then graduated up to like 30, 40, 45 and then by the time uh, in high school, when I was making some of these, uh, you know, crazy little movies on on and around campus, whatever the way that I was telling you about, uh, we did one. I When I started taking different classes, they actually, uh, you know, uh, arts classes, whether it was pottery or these other things, they allowed me to uh, do filmmaking as, as part of my uh, uh, stuff. So, like... When I made Day of the Reaper, I did some of the props in the class and was able to use um, some of the people in the class as, as actors. And uh, that also translated to drama because uh, 
in the drama class and English. The English teacher was the drama teacher. I was in both of those classes, and I was able to, uh, we actually shot a movie called Target, and uh, believe it or not, in the school lunchroom on school time, we actually uh, shot President Reagan for a scene. I had a guy in a Reagan mask, and mm -hmm. the killer had a big gun, and the guy was trying to rescue him, and, and uh, nobody said anything about that, I don't believe, but uh, it was just, now that I look back at it thinking, you know, thinking about it, I was like, uh, you know, and then we had blood all over the Reagan guy, and uh, and we had a full cast of classmates in the, the lunchroom, and the teacher actually helped supervise all that. So Probably because it, it kept the kids busy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Keep him off the streets. If he wants to shoot the president, uh, keep him in the yeah, lunchroom. Right. <laughs> actually, no, that's, that's a safe creative outlet. You're pretending to shoot the president instead of actually right. shooting well, the president. So yeah, we didn't was, really kill him, but... Uh, there's that too, but where I was going with it is not only are you keeping you busy, you're keeping all of your other classmates busy too. So it's, right, it's a good activity yes, to tie exactly. up a bunch of kids all at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This will kill three, made, four weeks worth of course. Yeah, right? <laughs> Bunch of teachers are going, wow, this was the easiest year yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let this guy do everything. Right? The teacher's lounge. Teach the film class here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other than um, Joel, had you started picking up other friends who were into horror by your teenage years or no? Uh, not as obsessed as I was for mm. sure. Mm -hmm. uh, my cousin was, and we made movies together for a while, and he had the same obsession. So um, I, I did have one pretty close friend and cousin, and, and you know, we, we would trade Fangoria's and talk all things horror, and we were in, in the know for all this kind of stuff. So we had the shortcut lingo, and definitely one close friend that was. And then a, a few of my other friends were really much into it but uh like i said not as much as as i was they were more casual about it you know the obsessed fan are are kind of we're kind of spread out i guess uh but still even having one uh friend and your cousin having you know that social element of having somebody who gets it um oh yeah definitely yeah there was a few people definitely it's so, you know all the kids that i would interact with they would, you know, they watched all kinds of movies like I did, but, um, you know, they knew they would watch these movies too. And, you know, almost every year for the next decade, you know, you could count on a, a Friday the 13th movie where everybody would cram the theater and, uh, you know, watch those and be able to talk about it in school. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, the more popular ones like that were, were, you know, pretty much everybody it was a challenge for everybody to go see those and get through them of course they people would take their dates to them and you know that kind of thing so right it was a good old-fashioned tradition you know yes how about halloween in your teenage years same thing i really enjoyed it and always tried to i don't know for me halloween was is it was always halloween but i loved you know that the temperature would drop and you could go out at night and Mm -hmm. wear a weird costume and of course you get too old to go get candy and everything but you can still kind of hang out i would always try to which i still do find you know stuff that you really memorable to read or uh, you know a richard layman book or find something that's you know really cool and go somewhere read it outside or or whatever and you know just make each halloween as cool as as possible and now Back then, you didn't have it as much, but a lot of the horror conventions are, are timed around Halloween sometimes because right. they're, you know, basically 
all the time. But yeah, if you can go one of the, you, know, you try to do something really memorable for that particular Halloween. Did you have any reoccurring dreams in your teens? I don't know. None that I remember. I know I've read that Wes Craven was really inspired by, you know, with Nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of the stuff that he wrote. Um, there's dreams and nightmares, but he would actually get up and wake up and then write down what he had dreamed. So I tend to forget. And unless yeah. it's something really, really powerful, I don't really remember as much. I know I had one dream where I would be dreaming I was falling from a building or something. And then I would fall out of the bed and land on the floor. And right when I would hit the floor in the dream, that's what, you know, where you're landing from this huge free fall from somewhere, but you would wake up and I'm like wondering uh, if you didn't wake up, I wonder what would have happened. Right. You would have died in real life. Cause right. if you die in a dream, you die in real life. That's exactly. Keeper so. Sutherland told me that. <laughs> Flatliners. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not a, in your dream thing. That's, that's a, yeah, well, yeah. No, that makes sense though. I mean, but yeah, the question is, do you, you know, if you're dreaming something and you believe it happens or, you can physically feel it, you know, and you're uh, more cognitive. Like, do you does? There's been cases where it supposedly happened. You know, there knows? have been. I've heard hearsay of cases. I don't know that I've heard any like legitimate evidence of it. I would say probably in the worst light, you would maybe go into a coma or a catatonic or a fugue state from the shock of dying in your dream. Maybe right. I think it all depends on the Could person. Be. I think. True. Right, and it, I think Wes Craven um, had, uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street was based on some kind of real case where a few kids did die, they thought they died in their dreams, or they are afraid to go to sleep, but it, I think it happened in a different country or something. Yeah, it was based on some real documentary that he saw, I forgot the whole right. details. The same way as uh, The Exorcist was based on, you know, a real case that William Peter Blatty read about, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some girl in Germany, I think. I think so. Um, was there anything that actually terrified you as a teen? Uh, I'm trying to think. Terrify. Um, like near death experiences or any, like just crazy shit that happened to you in real just life. Just a fear that not dreams or pops movies. up. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a personal experience. True. Right. Like a phobia or yeah. something. Um, offhand. No, I mean, no, I mean, I was at that point, point i was just kind of so obsessed you know with horror movies and everything and trying to watch as much as i could read about it and uh then kind of do my own thing based on what i was seeing or inspired by that you know fear in the the sense of you know being afraid for my life or you know just thinking about constantly dying or something you would kind of deal with that in the movies the movies would do that so then when you get older in life you've kind of dealt with these things your whole life anyway, you know? So for instance, my dad got uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. And a lot of it reminded me of uh, the, the exorcist, you know, the change of personality and all this other stuff. So I think in a way, a lot of different movies, especially horror movies can prepare you for things that happen, you know, later in life, you know, as an adult, when, when real things happen that kind of emulate the stuff that you have always watched your whole life. And it kind of prepares you. You might not be as shocked and you can maybe, maybe in some way it kind of helps you go, well, you know, we've dealt with this before and made it to the end credit. So, you know, we're going to deal with this now, even though, you know, one's obviously fiction and now you're dealing with real life scenarios, but you know, 
you've kind of been through it before because when you go through this stuff with movies you emotionally you know you go through it with the characters and you you feel their emotions and you're on one side or the other and, and you kind of figure things out and make it through to the end so in that way i can see that uh you know horror movies really kind of help people prepare for the bad things that life can can kind of throw at them whatever whatever it may be in the future you know i've, I've had many people come up to me with the truth or dare movies which are about estranged spouses and divorces and psychotic reactions to you know marriages disintegrating and they'll come back and say man those movies were so cathartic to me because i really wanted to go mangle everybody and my ex in the worst way and this movie helped me live that and you know i really don't have to do it i was always like okay well look at that you're providing <laughs> a public helpful. service <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you mentioned um, exorcists, you know, sort of relating to your father's Alzheimer's. What about in your own works? Is there anything that you've done that, like, where you addressed your own fear in one of the things that you did? Uh, I made a movie called Reconcile, which was is is, is kind of a pro Christian movie, and and in that I kind of read the Bible and then interpreted it exactly without through denomination. Uh, you know what I thought it meant and I made a whole script about it So I'd say probably that's one of the most personal movies I think we all all of us have a fear of kind of dying or passing away. I mean, there's no choice There's death and taxes in life So in a way as you get older and some people are even when they're younger They start thinking about it. but of course as you age and get older and your grandparents pass away and then your parents and then suddenly you realize it's kind of like a Final Destination movie. You're like going, oh, you know, the Grim Reaper's coming for mm -hmm. me. Uh, I think at that point, you start to think about, you know, do you go somewhere? Was the religion that you grew up in, whatever it was, did you fall away from it? Did you come back to it? And that's sort of what Reconcile was for me. I kind of fell away from it for a while because I was raised in a kind of a Baptist uh, atmosphere. And then I came back to it, but I studied it under a different perspective. And then, uh, you know, I made a movie about it. I mean, what is your faith? What, you know, where are you going to go after you die? You know, do the decisions you make here, you know, now when you're alive, are they affected by, you know, where you go in the afterlife? If there is an afterlife, you know, that that's sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. I think that would be one of my, you know, fears, fear of not uh, being prepared for the afterlife because none of us really know you know what it is or if there is one that's going to take us mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like oh man, you don't get to go you're going down uh the elevator's going down man <laughs> well, who knows maybe we're all in stasis in some kind of crazy spider web just massive right, kind of like the, discarded the spaceships where i think about that too you know are we really just in a massive hallucination kind of like a uh, who was it? Edgar Allan Poe, a uh, dream within a dream. Uh, and are, oh, are yeah. we in some kind of massive you know, hallucination where all this is not real anyway? You're like kind of thinking mm -hmm. that too. So yeah, no, you're right though. Like it's, it's a deep rooted fear <laughs> of just the, the unknown of what happens after this experience that we know is life. Like, you know, if, if you kind of take into account everything, Christianity could be true. It could be nothing. Uh, it's funny to me, kind of having that view that uh, atheism is almost one of the discomforts or fears, even though it would just mean that after this life, you're dirt, you're dead, you're nothing. 
But that right. almost to me still gives me a bit of discomfort and fear because it's like I don't like that. I want to right, keep going. Now. Lights out, you nothing. go nowhere. You remember nothing, and that's really terrible because then you're like thinking everything was for absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Now you're just carbon. So parts of you anyway. So yeah, I think that was, and you know, bring bringing that up. I think that was a concern I had even as a little kid, even in you know in the atmosphere of growing up, it was like, I did not understand. And probably none of us understand eternity or if, you know, what that is or how does that exist? And, you know, where we go from here. And then, like I said, as your grandparents die, or if you're very misfortunate, you know, if your uh, uh, siblings die or your parents die, even younger, when you're really young, you know, that sort of thing, that's going to bring up all that kind of stuff even, you know, earlier. And it can really kind of, you know, make you a very shaky and uncertain person in those areas where you're just kind of torn up, you know, by that kind of thing. I really liked, uh, the definition of eternity that I got from professor Joseph Campbell. If you've ever, do you are familiar with him? Mm -hmm. Um, are you familiar with his, his definition for eternity? No, no. What is that? So the snake eating itself. I'm sorry. Is it a snake eating itself? No, <laughs> that's, that's an Ouroboros. Um, the, his definition of, uh, I almost said insanity. That's, that's a different thing. Uh, <laughs> his definition of, uh, eternity was, uh, it's sort of the opposite of infinity in that infinity is a long series of moments that, that stretch out to infinity and Infi- uh, eternity is the moment of here and now that is, is not, uh, in the field of time at all. Sort of like if you Mm -hmm. ever think about, you know, going back through your memories and reliving your memories and feeling like you're stuck in a moment, that moment that you're stuck in, that's an eternity. It's, um, I personally suspect that the, the difficulty is that when you die, uh, there are some people that have proposed that for them, it was like one moment that was stretching out into infinity. And that's sort of like where eternity and infinity are meeting where it's one moment being stretched out. But the way he talked about it, eternity was that moment in here and now that thinking in time cuts out. And for him, the focus was trying to find the eternal in the present. If that makes sense. It's like existential spaghettification. <laughs> right. Kind of. Yeah, that's I mean, deep. seriously. That is very deep. Very deep. Yeah. yeah. That's some Alan Watts shit right there. Well, it's some Joseph Campbell shit. That too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just thinking, you know, and I've mentioned that Chris in other interviews, even our very last interview, uh, it, for me, it seems like almost more difficult to to get a read on somebody who has decided early on in their life to, that they want to be a creator in the horror business, because from the moment that you make that decision, you're now looking at it as an art form. And in that respect, you're cutting out the emotion and you're only focusing on how do I do the thing? At least for me, on the psychological profile part of it, it's, I find it very difficult to keep, 
you know, cause all you can do is go back to the childhood and try to focus on the times when where when you had an emotional reaction to it. And you do mention in your teenage years, having somewhat of an emotional reaction to certain things. Um, the one thing that you mentioned was the, um, the laser disc extras, the um, going through the extras and, and finding something of interest there. But even that I think was going back to your interest in wanting to be a creator. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I can understand too, there, there being a fascination in wanting to be a creator. There's definitely some joy to be found in that. But then the question becomes why horror? Because yeah. blood. Well, I mean, horror. I mean, I mean, you're kind of saying that the emotion that horror kind of stirs in you as an individual, you know, being scared and just being a fan would be kind of overruled by being a creator where you're trying to figure it out. Is that what you're kind of saying? Where you wouldn't be as affected by it personally when it becomes more of a not business, right? That's uh, sort of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's truth in that. It's kind of a middle-of-the-road type of thing, uh, which is probably the most dangerous place to be. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, certain movies will definitely, if if the, you know, you get absorbed into them and you are get emotional about, it, and you just completely forget that, oh, this is you know, this is a movie. How did they do that? You know, I would love that. I mean, later. Later, you might be inspired by it, but I mean, an example would be like, uh, for me, um, one's not horror and one is horror, but like Dexter, the TV mm-hmm. show, I've, the first three or four seasons, I completely love that show to the point where I wasn't even thinking about, you know, any of the things that they were doing in the show. It was more just being carried away with the situations, the characters, will he get caught, you know, the humor, all that kind of stuff. So if the material is good enough and you find yourself in the right frame of mind, I think, uh, you know, you, you will go with it and not look at it, um, you know, just from a technical standpoint or be sitting there and thinking, well, how'd they do that? I mean, the stuff that I like anyway is more, as I got older, more dramatic and or more, kind of internal with the characters that I would try to think about, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but the answer is definitely some stuff for me was more technical. How did they do that? I love the formula. You know, there was a beginning, a middle and an end that I would want to follow with my own creativity. And then there was the, the movie that was just so good, like say jaws or star Wars or, or going further ahead. Uh, you know, other movies that, uh, Henry portrait of a serial killer where you're just completely, first of all, get engrossed with, uh, the characters and even if they're evil you're like wow this just really just takes me to a different place and and you know makes me scared uh like henry is an example of just the tone and a movie like that can make you very afraid because you know especially when that came out in society if you find yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time and your car is broken down and you get the wrong person that wants to quote unquote help or or whatever, or if you're in your house, once you start to, you know, read about the uh, BTK killer and, uh, you know, the Night Stalker and all these people who, you know, kind of lose it somewhere, you know, they, uh, somewhere they, they get a wire that just, uh, just burns out and they go nuts and just start, uh, 
acting on impulse and uh, killing anybody and everybody. So that makes you, you know, it can give you a very paranoid, on edge feeling as a viewer. And we come to to like that. And then when the credits roll, we know well, however the movie ends, even if it ends on a really horrible note, like Henry with that suitcase at the end, you're like wow and then you just start thinking about it and you get this paranoia but then you kind of rationalize well i'm safe let me go check the doors and the windows though you know, i made it through the end of that but it, it also may make you more aware when you're in a parking lot is somebody you know looking at me through their rearview mirror in a space and uh you know you kind of kind of maybe you're a little extra cautious so maybe that helps you you know in real life if somebody is planning to, to even steal your purse or your wallet or or whatever or worse mm-hmm earlier you mentioned there were two things that um triggered that sort of reaction from you you mentioned dexter was henry the other thing or was there a different one uh no then the other show was like breaking bad i really thought that uh it, you know it's not specifically horror but it's horrific in that you have this character that uh you know and there's that show has almost everything in it that you you know and a lot of horror oriented things uh where a character gets cancer He's trying to figure out uh, how to make ends meet, how to pay for his bills, what's going to happen to his family. So he kind of turns to the dark side, which using his talents, and then he kind of corrupts a student since he's a teacher, and they get involved in drug making, and then the whole thing just, of course, over the course of five or six seasons, um, just becomes you know almost a surreal nightmare of, of insanity, like well, with you know people killing each other and explosions and you know uh, close calls with very shady, disreputable people, and you really get to see firsthand a lot of times what meth and some of these really uh, you know, really bad drugs do to people, and you're causing it, so you can't really root for this character. But you are, so kind of really, because he's the protagonist, but you kind of really feel bad about it because you see that he's also, you know, causing great damage to, you know, a lot of people who may not have been doing that or, you know, that he caused, you know, the the deaths of. So, again, it's just one of those domino effect things of something that draws you in. You're not really thinking, you know, how did they do that or whatever. It's just, it's so good that just takes you right into it and takes you through the journey and you don't. You're not thinking. And then later, you know, if you're a creative person, you might, uh, you know, be inspired by some of that or, or put new twists on it in a different way in your own material, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So I tell you, one person who everyone can uh, join a unified front in that show and definitely agreeing that they are, you know, there's no question, good guy or bad guy, fucking antagonist, fucking Todd. Fuck that kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it. I mean, basically, it sounds like very good writing is the thing for you. Definitely. Yeah. Story, yeah. Story writing and characters, you know, I'm wondering if there was something about that in the earlier things that you mentioned, like you did mention jaws, but you know, Frankenstein, King Kong and Halloween. Do you feel right? You mean the, yeah, those movies were definitely, I wasn't ever really trying to figure out how they did any of that stuff. I was just kind of fascinated taken into those yeah those worlds and you know you were like almost getting in the perspective of of the heroes or the anti-heroes whoever they were even with alien you know the working working class uh individuals which i now understand more than ever you know the the grumbling workers who get up and have to work at the salt mine every day whether it's a salt mine in space or or whatever and then suddenly having to deal with this 
extracurricular horrific activity that was uh, caused by the negligence of the company eventually it's revealed even in the movie you know that your job suddenly says uh hey uh, not only do you have a dangerous dead-end job uh you're completely expendable because we want something from you and you know we don't care if you lose your life for it. And that, that's kind of the theme of Alien. You don't realize that as a kid. It's a monster movie. But then as you watch it over and over again as an adult, suddenly you're picking up on all these things that uh, you didn't see. And you're like, oh, wow. That's, uh, and a lot of people feel that way about their jobs. You know, now more than ever, they're like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. care if I drop dead today. You know? <laughs> so, you know, normally here we would go into the adult years and I would ask, you know, what, what sort of the things got that emotion from you as an adult. But I think that's what you were talking about when you were talking about Dexter and breaking bad. And I don't know about Henry. I don't know where Henry fell in there in terms of date. Uh, right. That was just, yeah, that was probably, ah, let's see. When did I, well, I probably first saw that in 1986. So, so that might've been teens. Yeah, yeah, probably about twenty, twenty-one or something, okay. something like that. Um, so by your adult years, definitely knew that it was meant as entertainment. Um, and I'm guessing you probably also had uh, more people that you were associating with that were fellow fans of horror because by now you're in your career. Um, right. Any- well, I kind of in high school at the end of high school, I, I connected with a guy named Al Nicolosi who who was an adult, and he ended up producing Killing Spree, and of course Joel uh, reconnected with him. And mm-hmm. when I was like sixteen, seventeen years old, most of my friends then became adults who were showing me the way into the commercial side of things. And you know, I had a, an adult actor, which was Joel, because he's like mm-hmm. five or six years older than me. And Al was a TV station uh, guy, and he was able to show me, you know, kind of be a mentor and all that kind of stuff. And he loved horror movies and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that helped jumpstart me into, you know, making movies with adults, even though I was like 15, 16 years old when you know, yeah, I met a lot of these It's awesome. People. It sounds like everything kind of just fell into place. Yeah, it really did. And like I said, I always hung out with, when you asked before, you know, did classmates and, you know, this or that. I really didn't hang around with classmates as much as I hung out with. Somehow I ended up hanging out with older people who were five, ten years older than myself. And I ended up getting a job at a company called Video Events, which, you know, Al Nicolosi ran. And he kind of, you know, I did all that on the side while I was still in high school. I would film, you know, stuff and learn how to use all the equipment and edit and you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it, yeah it did kind of like you said it just kind of kind of fell into place and i always hated using kids in my movies because i wanted to make adult movies i mean movies with adult characters like mm-hmm. and i should have at the time i should when i made day of the reaper which was my first feature length super 8 movie i should have probably used my classmates as uh you know teenagers like on a friday the 13th and they would have looked the proper age but instead i was always like no 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 i know you're only 15 but you're playing this 30 year old real estate tycoon you know so it you know ended up being really kind of silly at the time so retrospect (laughs) right (laughs) um hindsight is that number we don't see anymore so you know i was thinking about again trying to 
look back over everything we've talked about now and see if I could find some common themes. And in their own way, I mean, Dexter and Breaking Bad are shows about monsters, uh, <laughs> just different kinds of monsters. Right, exactly. And that's when I think, I think there's been a lot of studies on that in horror when the, the monsters became more than Frankenstein and Dracula, Godzilla, it became us. In other words, you look in the mirror and the monster was suddenly Michael Myers and then suddenly... Uh, the monster is Ted Bundy or Henry Lee Lucas, and the monster is the person next door. Um, so let me ask two questions looking back over your entire life, um, and I'll, I'll tell you what the questions are first because they may be the same answer. They might not be. Um, the first question is, what is your favorite movie? And then the second question is, what movie have you seen more times than any other? And this is not necessarily horror. It's any genre. Right. I'd probably have to go with uh, probably Jaws. For which? Mm-hmm. Both? or For both. Okay. For both. For both. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that movie uh, endless times, probably, you know, three, four, five hundred times <laughs> since I was a little what kid. What do you like so much about it that made one? A, I, I don't know. It's just the, the obsession of, you know, I lived in Florida, grew up in Florida, so you got the beach connection. Fear yeah. of the beach, you know, it brought that up for a while. You were like, everybody was afraid to go in the water, and you were just kind of like, man, I don't want to go out more than three feet. But it was just, it's just the kid to me, it's the characters, the way they uh, interact, the, you know, the the chief of police and the, the, no, no, I know what it was. It was Quincy and, I mean, Spanish ladies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, just the way they all, even though they're very different and they have completely different personalities and probably belief systems, the characters, they all come together for this common cause, which is, you know, this merciless monster that is kind of feasting you know, on, on the town, you know, when they go in the water and ruining their lives, kind of like the pandemic that we're dealing with now. You could even have an allegory for that, that their bread and butter has been decimated because there's no jobs, there's no tourists, there's no, you know, their businesses are being show closed, and all because of this, you know, monster in the water that they got to take care of. So, I mean, I don't know, for that, that movie just kind of has it all for me. It's got the scares, it's got the, you know, the beginning's got the damsel in distress going on in the water. It's just uh, the fear of the unknown, uh, the the cop that's afraid of the water that has to overcome that. You know, it's a big Ooh, it's got the character comet. arc at the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge character arc there and comedic elements. Uh, I mean, it's just a great score. I mean, uh, it's almost like the perfect movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bruce could have been done better, but, you know, it's the technology of the time. <laughs> right. Um well, again, it's for, for, for me, it'd be like nostalgia. If you grow up with something, you're not going to, you know, it, it doesn't ever really change. It's just, you just keep going back to it. I mean, yeah, definitely. If they remade it today, I don't, I don't know how it would be, but it'd be, it would definitely be interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. They yeah. don't screw it up too much. <laughs> Maybe not. It might be like, you know, the Meg, you know, I mean, it would not be what it was, you know, that magic in a bottle moment that took me and probably millions of other people. And I know uh loads of other filmmakers of all status uh you know were severely inspired by that and of course halloween and dawn of the dead and you know some of those movies like Mm -hmm. that and you know so i already kind of mentioned this but i'll ask it anyway um 
normally we ask if you see any common threads about what it is that you like over your entire life, because for example, you mentioned the monsters in your childhood, but once we talk about teenage years and adulthood and what you like now, you know, sometimes that changes. Um, but I think, so yeah, would you see like a common thread and the uh, type of horror movies and stories and things you've been interested in? Right. I mean, well, what I see is a common thread. Right. Well, I mean, like there's cannibalism, there's a cult, there's metaphysical, there's body horror. I mean, I would say my, you know, the, the, if you, if you look back, if you need to kind of figure out like one thing, it would just be, you know, the monster and the people who come up against the monster and hopefully persevere no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, the thing or Henry or last house on the left, uh, you know, the parents actually getting revenge, you know, for the death of their daughter and the assault and all that. So people kind of overcoming, you know, the bad thing is probably mm -hmm. the common denominator in all of it, I would mm -hmm. say. But is, I mean, that may be in all of horror. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies end good. And then there's some that end more realistically where the bad thing wins. I almost wonder then, is it less about the monster and more about the struggle could be it could be it's a good thought mm -hmm. do you mm -hmm. find yourself being interested in the struggle stories that are not in horror oh definitely yeah like straw dogs or deliverance or you know regular movies you mean well i'm even thinking you know things like uh you know movies about world war ii or you know there could be all kinds of different genres where there could be stories about somebody struggling with something. And I'm wondering, is that something that you're also a fan of that we just haven't talked about in this call? Um, and maybe not. I'm just throwing shit at the wall, hoping, you know, seeing if something sticks, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I like, yeah, I love like the Rocky movies and the Rambo movies. And in particular, the Rocky movies, uh, you know, they're about the underdog and the struggle yeah. to feel worth for yourself you know in other words you know what what makes you successful and feel successful as a person you know what are your goal not even career-wise but just as a person you know what is your definition of success you know when do you uh you know feel that you've hit your prime and you've gotten to the top of your uh you know your mountain or whatever you know whatever your journey is in life so yeah definitely i love you know movies like that where it's just a, a struggle because I mean, everybody's life is a struggle for, for yeah. sure. It's, it's definitely, you know, never all easy. Would you say that your yeah, love I mean, of those things is equal to your love of horror? Are they close? Not close. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely close. I mean, I like all kinds of, you know, different movies, especially, you know, seventies movies and, uh, action movies like to live and die in LA, uh, French connection, I'm wondering maybe if there's some backstory of where that comes from. Like again, probably just growing up and, you know, having only so many channels to, to choose from, you know, when I got a, my own TV in my, in my own bedroom, when I had black and white TV way back in the, in the dark ages there, you know, watching, mm -hmm. you know, movies like dirty, Mary, crazy Larry, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff like that. The James Bond movies. Uh, again, you have a character that's put into odds that are completely against him succeeding. 
and uh, he's got to overcome through outrageous, uh, you know, antics, whether it's, you know, the set pieces where he gets put into a situation where it's like, oh, how's he going to get out of that? Whether it's boats or skis or airplanes or, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, at the last second, he overcomes the, the obstacle. I mean, life can be like that for all of us. It's like, oh, even if it's something as small as, how am I going to pay this electric bill? What can I do to, uh, you know, pay this this week? You know, you're in this horrible circumstance or even worse, you're going to get kicked out of your apartment. And then you have to either beg, borrow, or steal, or work extra, or do something to, you know, fix your problem, you know. So, watching that kind of material, maybe, you know, as a kid, if, if you're lucky enough to do so, maybe that kind of prepares you for some kind of, uh, you know, ethic where you're going to overcome mm -hmm. the small stuff because you've been so obsessed with, uh, you know, the big stuff that really wasn't real, but, uh, you know, kind of helps you in a different way. Yeah. This might be a dumb question, uh, and if it is, I'm sorry, you know, not being fully versed on your uh, work history, but, you know, are you also making non-horror movies that focus on those kinds of stories, or if not, why? I mean, like, it, would you, how can I say this? I'm still trying to figure out where that falls in terms of okay, you might be is equally interested in those kinds of stories, but are you making those kinds of stories or, you know, where is your focus over, you know, where's your focus? Uh, you mean on my, the movies that I make now? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, a lot of the stories have the, the, the small person who is backed into a corner and they have, have to react and, get out of that and then you can kind of embellish that with you know some cathartic uh uh fantasy mm -hmm. to get out of the situation you know like killing spree the the guy is his job is uh cutting hours he doesn't know he's going to make ends meet he sends his wife away she's in his mind uh, she's been cheating on him he's going to take care of that business too and how's he going to do that he's going to uh, he's going to grab the machetes <laughs> and the, so, right, the sledgehammer and the, the chainsaw. And the same That'll with uh, the Truth or Dare movies. Each character is presented with a, uh, you know, an obstacle of, of cheating or betrayal by family or a loved one or spouse. And they've got to figure their way back to wherever they're going. You know, where are they going? They're kind of reflecting on, uh, you know, well, where do I stand in life? And how do I get there? This is a complete interruption to my path. So, so yeah, I think if you look at, even with my latest movie with sharks of the corn, there's a character in it who has a challenge and she's been doing something her whole life and realizes that all her sacrifices uh, for family and friends have been all for nothing. And she feels completely betrayed. So even in the middle of this, kind of comedy kind of a comedy horror thing you've really got this character that's dealing with this dilemma and and on a serious note has a meltdown a personality crisis and then decides in her own way to change that and maybe do some very drastic things to change her life so yeah i, I would agree with that that would be you know, a theme. If you really want to tear apart every everything I do, that's that's definitely in there somewhere. <laughs> I didn't mean that like that, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's always a character trying to get 
through this, uh, you know, obstacle. And of course, if I write it or, or whatever, yeah, I'm definitely dealing with some of my own issues and just kind of transferring them, you know, into, you know, the characters in the movies. And I'm like, oh, I can kind of make a little statement on this. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it is a good parallel. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know that you could really dig any deeper than that because struggle is something that every human deals with, you know? Um, Right. Definitely. I think we can all identify with that. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking as you were describing it the whole time. I mean, um, who wouldn't want to be entertained or would, wouldn't want uh, a struggle of some kind in a story? That's part of what the entertainment is. It's the whole, was it the hero's journey? But um, yeah, I mean, a struggle by definition is just more entertaining than a lack of a struggle. It's like watching a football game where it ends 49 to two. Well, it's funny that cause three. while you're saying that Sorry. I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, is there a movie that doesn't have a struggle? And the first thing that came to mind was Napoleon dynamite. And then I laughed to myself because <laughs> for me, the struggle was continuing to watch that movie. Like I just couldn't do yes, it. That is, yeah. That can happen too. Wait, well, and it makes me wonder if, you know, for that example, was that the goal of the people making the movie, you know, to, instead of it being to make the most bland, no, 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 no. what I mean is instead of having the struggle be in the movie, having the struggle be in the viewer. Mm, how meta could be. Although I, I mean, maybe there is a struggle in Napoleon dynamite. I don't know. I mean, I've never watched more than the first 15 minutes of it. So maybe there is one in there and I just don't know. it. Yeah. I haven't seen a wedding, it, so. and a llama named Tina. I don't know. I hate that. <laughs> so the one one movie that none of the three of us know anything about. We'll probably get some nasty emails from somebody saying, "I love that movie." <laughs> well, for every movie, there's every movie that we might disregard. There's definitely people who love it. So I think if I were to sum up, uh, you know, our call here today sounds like the things that you particularly have loved about horror are, you know, good. You, you mentioned monsters, but you know, particularly good characters, good stories, good struggles, good actions. And I didn't say it earlier, but for me, you know, one of the biggest, I know we've talked about this before, Chris and I, that when it comes to writing and not just, um, not just writing stories, but even music and art and painting and sculpture, what separates the best quote unquote artists from other artists simply comes down to whether or not the artist did made the same choices that you would have as a person. And so when it comes to things like movies or books, when you write a story, it's, can you write something that's believable to a, to a person who would say, yeah, I would have made the same choice in that situation. It's it must be harder than it than it seems because there's so many movies that that don't do that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then the, another thing to, that even for low and no budget movies uh, that reflects on when you watch it is the passion behind the project. Yeah. You know, you can feel that sometimes whether somebody was you know are they doing this just for some sort of paycheck or because they've been asked to, or do they really, you know, are they so passionate about 
the material and the project and, you know, have something to say as well as entertaining, uh, that it kind of, you know, you feel it and you can relate to it in some way or, or it just affects yeah. you. Yeah. Well, um, before we close, do you want to pitch anything other than the, uh, sharks of the corn or. Uh, yep. Sharks of the corn just came out and, uh, it's available on Blu-ray limited edition and VHS. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, uh, later in the year, we should have high fear coming out, uh, movie made with Brad Sykes. Um, and it's, uh, the third in the high, high eight series of trilogies. And it's going to have segments by Todd sheets and, and Brad and a couple other people. And uh, that should be coming out, I would think, somewhere near the end of this year. So okay. it should book in this year with those those two projects. All right. Well, we've still got a couple cool. months, uh, so we can look forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for being our guest. Yes. Appreciate it. It's Thanks been for fun. It's been very interesting. Kind of like a demented uh, Dr. Phil episode. Right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. Sort of. That's, it's like, can we use that? That's a good tagline, Chief. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to dissect your mind now. Uh, definitely kind of unexpected because, you know, usually you, you do radio shows or, or interviews and it's kind of the same questions, you know, and some are good, and, and but it's just, you know, you're very, you don't really have to think that much. You're right. kind of on autopilot. Yep. So, uh, well, uh, let's do a little closing here. So thank you to anybody out there listening again, please do come visit us at horror makes us happy.com. Uh, we have a list there of the people that we'd like to interview. If you can help us connect with any of them or know somebody that you'd like to have added to the list, let us know. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media. Let us know how we're doing there. Support us on Patreon, buy some of our merch, um, just let us know how we're doing. Or makes us happy.com. <laughs>